Welcome back, y'all, to episode 43 of the Zachary Wingate Podcast. And what can I tell you other than podcast took a lot of work. All right, today, what do we got for you? We got some stuff. We got some stuff. So sit back, relax, and right now all right y'all it's college football saturday i randomly have been driving around all over ecuador to altavalo other places buying things because my wife's friend in town and i've been driving all over ecuador so i haven't been able to enjoy it but here's what i can tell you number one ecuador has some great knockoffs that are made in Ecuador. Not even made in China. Ecuador makes their own knockoffs. Number two. That was my chair. I'm sorry if that affected you. I'll let that out. Number two. They eat cooey in Ecuador, which is guinea pigs, which is a cute animal, but I just can't ever bring myself to eat it. Number three. Like, Arkansas driving in the country helps you be a better driver in Ecuador. Like, if you grow up in the country, I honestly feel like there's nothing this world can put in front of you driving-wise. Because I've driven on flooded roads. I've driven in icy conditions. I've driven on anything you can even imagine in Arkansas. And the last one is how about that hog win. Boy, I tell you what. Like, as a fan... You know, like, you get this point in life where sometimes you're like, if I watch, if I wear my socks upside down, if I don't do this, maybe they'll win. I come home after driving through Ecuador's crazy mountains. I turn on the television. I see the score. 24-17. I cannot believe Missouri State is beating Arkansas. So what do I do? Like, any good Arkansas fan, my wife and I call the hogs. Pig suey Razorbacks. And I put it on and we watch. And I watch an amazing comeback. And there's a few things I want to really point out here. Like, if you're an Arkansas fan, you should be happy for what you've just seen. Because what I've witnessed over the last 20 years is I have never seen a team come back and rally like this, number one. Number two, the last time a Arkansas coach came back into Razorbacks, we lost to Houston Nutt. But I said it before because of the offensive pass interference. Number three, this is a mental block breaker. Like there's something, there's some bad mental um, juju that happens in sports. And you can feel it. And this ability for K.J. Jefferson, who had 325 yards, and Rock and Sander to come back, as well as the secondary to pick up in special teams to get three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, where it was a, it just it was twenty one to three. It was it was almost like euphoric as a fan because being an Arkansas fan has taught me a lot. Number one, um, you never know what's gonna happen. Number two, anybody can potentially beat you. Number three, 
like you lose in the strangest ways. And there's something to be said about also, I didn't even watch all the game. You know, it's like one of those situations where I can't tell you what happened for three quarters, but I know in the quarter where it really, really mattered, the hog team stepped up and they won. Okay. And I know that, that, you know, I was watching and they pulled up Appalachian State. Okay. When Appalachian State beat Michigan, they pulled that shit up on the television. I couldn't even believe it. I was so angry. And they were like, this could be the number two worst upset in college football history. And I was like, you don't know this team. All right. There's nobody around me, so nobody can hear me. But I was like, you don't know this team. They play very well in the fourth quarter, and they play very well when they're down. Okay. And it was like, why even put that up? Because everyone was thinking there was going to be upset with Bobby Petrino coming in, playing his team the way he played him, but it was mental. I'm telling you, there was a mental vibe going on about this. And it's not necessarily, I don't know what it is, but there's something in sports where they there's a mental aspect to it as a team. You know, because... The transition of this program is so big. And to get over this hump reminds me when you think about the curse of the goat for Chicago. Or was it Boston? Well, anyways, the curse of the goat and what it meant for 100 years and how there was like this mental blockage to win a World Series. I actually think it was Boston. And they won the World Series. And no one thought they would do it. That's the type of moment we just witnessed, okay? I am telling you, the fact that Arkansas can come back in a rally like this in the face of whatever this is shows the depth of this team. It shows their character, their heart, their perseverance, perseverance under pressure. You can't even understand. If you are not an Arkansas fan, I can't even I can't even tell you. Seeing Rocket Sanders get the shuffle pass and run for a touchdown, I was screaming so loud. I couldn't even I couldn't even bear it. And then to go on special teams, I remember at one time we had a player named Derek Fisher. It was like five four, and we did these plays. And I saw Derek Fisher catch a football over his shoulder that made us lose probably one of the biggest games ever during that time when Houston Nutt was coach. You know, for everything to click the way it did on offense and defense, I'm telling y'all. You can't even believe it, how you put Appalachian State on the television. Why you even do that? Get that out of here. You don't know this team. I said it. You don't know this team. This team under Coach Pittman has more grit and heart than most teams. And, yes, if you look at Missouri State, you can say whatever you want. But when you get on the field and it's game day, you cannot test the will of men. Okay, no matter what you put a rank on them, everybody in sports wants to put a number by you and tell you who you are as a player. This is who you are. This is the division you belong in. But you don't know the will of men. Okay, and that's period. Sports announcers just do it so they have a job. Sports announcers, all they are, they want to talk about sports because they never played sports. And people listen to them because they want to hear it. But at the end of the day, what do they know? It's like they were looking at the, the points of this game, but you just cannot ever test the mental factor that goes into a situation because we are humans, and our minds play, play a role. You don't think Bobby Petrino wanted to come in here and beat Arkansas at home? You don't think Bobby Petrino knew he's close leading in the third quarter? 
Okay? You don't think Sam Pittman was like, what is going on with my team? The will of men. You cannot test it. It cannot be put into a number. You can't even quantify the will of men or women, but I'm, I'm mostly spoken about college football because that's what college football is. You don't know it. You don't know what happens. Someone couldn't have eaten their Wheaties. They don't get their breakfast right. Their mind gets hot. It's hot. You know, they drank too much the night before. Whatever it is, I'm saying that everything plays a role on game day, and you can't put it into a little computer, and that's why they play the game, the will of men. Take Appalachian State off the TV when Arkansas plays. That will not be put into our team. I cannot believe this win. And I know maybe Arkansas fans are upset or Sam Pittman's like whatever, but it's like that's why you play the game, man. It's not this cut and dry thing of numbers, you know. Will is everything, and it's the heart. And K.J. Jefferson showed that heart. Rocket Shandard showed that heart. For the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the young man who returned that punt. But that changed the momentum, get bumper pool. Like, people coming together and changing a game, changing a moment, changing the trajectory. The fact that they put Appalachian State on the TV drives me crazy. Makes me so angry. I was screaming like a banshee. And I still will continue. And you know, and it's like whenever you see, like I am a competitive person, but whenever you whenever you bear witness to a team, whenever you see it through its ups and downs, it's like it's a whole different experience. Being an Arkansas fan was a laughing stock for so long when they lost to Western Kentucky. You know, and and I was watching the game on YouTube, and people were like, oh, Arkansas sucks. I can't believe they're number twin. Just putting the poo emoji so quickly, counting it out. And I said, you can't count this team out. In the fourth quarter, and you can't count them out when they're down. They play better when they're down. Guess what? They did, and they won. And they came back, and they came back in such a tremendous way. You can't say nothing, all right? Because that's the game of football. That's why you play four quarters, all right? And... To me, it's just such a good indicator. And they're talking about, oh, Missouri State, this and that. It was a mental hiccup. You know, I think that Arkansas beating Missouri State says more than what we really understand from a from just getting Bobby Petrino off the palate, like, like getting him out of the taste buds. The media's turning it up. Oh, it's Bobby Petrino. We got to be Bobby Petrino. Bobby blah, 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 blah. That's how it is. And if like you're hearing that all the time and you're subconsciously picking up, that's a thing. Because I said it before and I'll say it again, Houston came in and won. Right? Arkansas did not win in a pretty way, but that's life. It's like you don't win always in a pretty way. And sometimes you got to dig deep and you got to make things happen. That's why you play the game. Any sports person who's been like, well, let's look at the numbers defined by the data points because they're trying to quantify it. But you can't quantify it hard. You can't quantify the subconscious pressure of beating Bobby Petrino when he comes into Arkansas and knowing what he is. I mean, Sam Pittman uses Bobby Petrino wins at the Cotton Bowl as a way to recruit. You don't think that gets in people's minds? You don't think that gets in people's minds? Football is just as much mental as it is physical, okay? You know, and you got young men out there. These aren't like NFL football players who have been in the league for 10, 5, 3, 4 years or whatever. These are young men, freshmen, sophomore, junior. You think where you were at 20 playing a game like this, putting all of your weight into it. That's what you got to realize. You know, people always want to 
quantify. I listened to a podcast the other day and said Missouri State isn't nothing to worry about. I'm like, no, they are something to worry about because there's a mental element to it. All right. I thought I heard gunshots. That's fireworks. The point I'm trying to make is, like, you just don't know. And to me, the heart that was shown in this game is some of the most heart I've ever seen out of the Hawks. And I just want to wish you all a good night, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Welcome back, you all, to the Zachary Wingate Podcast, where we go 365 days bringing in a podcast to you every single day. Today is podcast 43 it is september the 19th 2020 let's get into it all right y'all so this podcast is really for people with dyslexia neurodiversion or have some type of dyslexia I like to do a podcast at least, I don't know, whenever I can about dyslexia to bring awareness and also to help those who have it. Um, I think so often in life, the biggest issue that adults face with dyslexia is there's not a lot of content out there about how you manage it. There's plenty of content from the ages of 7 to 18, but once you get in the real world, how do you really manage your dyslexia? So today, that's kind of what we're getting into. I'm going to break it down into a couple key aspects, and we'll go from there. So guess what? If you're listening to this and you have dyslexia, I don't want you to feel like a victim. I really want you to understand one thing. Um, dyslexia in itself is a neurodivergent. So what that means is like the way your brain communicates using letters is not a normal concept. In fact, um, where dyslexia really started to become a really big issue is during the transformation of the Industrial Revolution, where more workers needed to be in assembly lines. So as a result of it, they had to streamline education. And as a result of streamlining education, what had happened was is textbooks and readings was the quickest way to do it. Reading is the shortcut to education is a very common expression. So what does that mean? Well, whenever you read something, you're able to process it and you're able to understand it in a much quicker way. But whenever you have dyslexia, obviously that doesn't always happen. So prior to the Industrial Revolution, what we had is the ability to have internships, learn one-on-one, pick up traits, work with your hands, and do different things like that. Dyslexia really is nothing new. It's just a different way to process information. If you can think about it, in all reality, it's just your brain is firing on different cylinders. Um, It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just how you perceive the world around you. And as it relates to dyslexia, you know, eventually, you know, the first name of it when it was first understood was called word blindness. And dyslexia in itself is very complex. I've talked about this before. But I honestly think no two people with dyslexia are the same. I think it's almost like a snowflake. Each one of it's really unique, and each person has a different relationship with it. And what's really, really important for people with dyslexia is, first of all, understand that, you know, you're not dumb. A lot of research has been done, and it indicates that the same level of shame dyslexics feel is the equivalent of people in families who partake who who partake in incest, which in itself is, you know, I mean, it's very shameful. So that's that's 
So identify that shame and then process it and understand that just because you have an issue with reading, it doesn't mean you're any less than. You just process the world differently. Um, an example of this is, you know, my whole life as a result of having dyslexia, I've been, you know, I got held back in third grade. I've experienced a lot of different things. But whenever I started to notice where I excelled is when I got older and challenges didn't stress me out like it did other people or being told no, like didn't worry me the same way. At a very young age, um, you know, I was a teenager in two bands and I was the drummer and I was kind of seen as the, the leader of the bands. You know, um, I would help book events, I would help call, I would help organize, and a lot of the practices would happen in my house. And I would have two different bands. I would I would practice with two different bands a week in high school, you know, and I had this ability just to, to continue being consistent and working hard and allowing my creativity to take over when I play drums. And that, that really helped me gain a lot of confidence. Um, and I think whenever you have dyslexia, I think the first goal is to initiate where is your confidence? Like if you could put it on a scale, you know, are you confident enough to deal with issues? Because that's really what it comes down to. You know, if you, and this is why dyslexics, dyslexics take two approaches in school. They either become the class clown or the class bully because you can either um, make people like you through fear or make people respect you or you can be a class clown and make people laugh. And I was the class clown in some sense. So Always making people laugh and having them kind of like me was a form of, I guess you would call it trauma conditioning because as a result of being dyslexic, I, what I did is I made people laugh. And that's something that's been consistent throughout my life. You know, I feel like humor is a really big part of my personality even now, but it's a result of that. I feel like there's different aspects like that. If you are asked to read out loud and you can't read something right, but you can make a witty joke in time to make people laugh and not have them think you're stupid, then you've, you've kind of you've won that battle. And it's really like winning battle after battle after battle when you're in the education system because it's, it's like you are in a river and you're just hitting all the rocks and you're not smoothly going down like you want to. That's how it is in the education system, you know. It's like there's nothing like being forced to go into special ed and understand that, you know, the environment you're in at that moment is one as a result of your brain processing stuff. And how you battle through that is what's really going to identify your personality. So when people want to use dyslexia as a means of saying why they can't do something, it's really a choice. It's like whether you think you can or you think you can't, you know, you have your answer. So... What you really have to do is being able to identify what you are good at. And this is something I say to, you know, I've talked to parents with kids who have dyslexia. You know, if your kids can be in sports, art, music, anything like that, that's going to give them confidence and make them excel. You got to put a minute because your kids need to know what it feels like to be successful. Okay. Even as humans, we need to know, or as adults, because what happens is a lot of conditioning will bleed over from when you're a kid, and you can't really maintain or understand what to do because you're so forced to 
Deal with your emotions. Be triggered. Think that you're less than. Think that you're stupid. And all these narratives and everything will just stop popping up. And when that happens, you have to be able to have enough control to stop it and say, I'm not going to go down this tunnel. I'm not going to feel stressed out about this. You know, I know that because I have this learning disability, I am not less than. I just learn different. And that's a really important concept to take over, you know. Because my whole life, you know, in my 20s, I've talked about it before in this podcast, but it's a message that I want to consistently get out there because I'm, I'm hoping that people will find it who need to find it. And the message is, you know, you don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to think you're less than, you know, it's like what you really have to understand is the toughest critic on yourself is your is yourself. You know, the whole world isn't always going to really care what you're going through or what you have to say, but you know, what are you telling yourself? Like, do you even love yourself? How many times do you tell yourself positive things? Like, wow, I'm so happy I did that. Or wow, I can't believe I'm so good at this. Or I'm really enjoying this. Or, you know, if, you, if you're not going to be able to hold that relationship with yourself, it's going to be really tough to have positive relationships with others. So that's the first thing you have to do is really, really understand where you're coming from with it. Like, how are you processing it? And another thing is being able to lean on your community, you know, finding people to talk to about it at first, understanding it and being a self-advocate. You know, when I was younger, I used to tell when in college, I would go to all my professors and say, look, I am dyslexic. Okay, I may not be your best student, but I still will work hard and show up the best I can. You know, and some days I would and some days I wouldn't, you know, because I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I mean, I tried my best in school, but I was not a good student. But where I do well now is actually in the real world. Understanding that A and B equals C in the real world is different than A and B equals C in university. Because university is subjective. You have teachers, you have professors. You know, they think that they're the ones needing to teach you, needing to do it, doing what you need to do. It's like, I got a business degree in marketing, Okay. Now what I do is direct marketing daily. And if you were to teach a class on it, I wouldn't sit back and have you read textbooks or understand. I would actually make you do it, you know. And it's like I was in a marketing class one time and the teacher actually asked us to make a product. And what I made is Papa's Chili. And, you know, I had some help from a couple people at the time, but it was really like my idea to create this creative thing. And... You know, we created it, we did it, we implemented it, we created a product. And this time, like, I, I really was like a nobody. Like, I had some type of impact in my school. My school was small, and the teachers always liked the really smart kids in college. But long story short, like, I crushed it. I came up with a product that looked like a real product. And as a result of it being so good, my teacher wanted to use it in class as the example for what you they need to do. It's like people... When you ask someone to think out of the box and be creative, it's so difficult for them because their whole life, maybe they haven't had to do it. But I think sometimes when you are struggling and you are dealing with different aspects that other people aren't, you know, tapping into that creativity is so helpful, you know, as someone with dyslexic, as somebody with dyslexia, that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. And two, it's like seeing the big picture. It's like another thing I do now is I'm taking large, I can take large amounts of data and I can totally put them in silos and understand which, which one will do what. 
And I think that's really important too. You know, and it's also like my language skills. It's like I, I'm not bad at language. I mean, I'm not like amazing at it, but I can still speak Spanish well. And I can, you know, it's been a while about the Chinese, but, you know, those things are just really important. I might not be able to read the languages. Actually, Spanish is like really easy to read. It's like phonetic, which is kind of funny. Sometimes when you look at words, some of them are different, but but it's really interesting how it's phonetic. And it like reminds me of a story about when I was in China and, you know, I was in a band and the drummer was named Do Tao, but at the time I couldn't say it, so I just called him DT. And what I found out later on is that DT was dyslexic as well and he couldn't read. And so what his mom did is every day she would take him to a music program after school and he learned how to drum there, and he became a phenomenal drummer, and he played with a band called Dequai, and Dequai is like the most famous band in Lanzhou when I was there, like everybody knew him, we opened up for him, and he was dyslexic, but the dude was a phenomenal drummer, and him and my buddy Joe Tong opened up a music school, but that's beside the point. The point I'm trying to make is, like, just because you are dyslexic doesn't mean you need to take the path as everyone else in your career. The world is open, you know. You have the power to do what you need to do. And if you don't believe that you don't have the power, then that's on you. You need to take responsibility and have integrity for how you're communicating with yourself. Because I'm going to tell you one thing. You know, your subconscious programming matters. And the negativity from your childhood becomes a part of your subconscious programming. And it happens so quickly. And this is a result of like implementing and developing survival mechanisms. But as we kind of get into a, as we've been in a more modern society, the survival mechanisms that we had before are different now. Like the fear of going into a cave with a bear or knowing it, feeling it, understanding it, and having it be a part of your trauma. Now, having trauma might be feeling like someone thinks you're stupid because you can't read, and as a result of it, you have years of oppression and trauma for being in an education system for 12 years that doesn't match the way you learn. I wonder who that sounds like. The point I'm trying to make is you got to be aware of it. You know, and it's like if you, like the, the University of Austin did this study on the majority of people in jail, what is what is the consistent commonality of them all? And it's it's being illiterate, you know, not being able to read really results a lot more into criminals and and those types of things because they feel like outcasts of society. And an education really is the pathway to a better I think I think a better environment. You know, I was lucky enough to go to a non traditional school and as a result of it I think why I don't have the same stigma as I might have if I went to a normal school. So if you're dyslexic, keep, keep your head up, keep chipping away at the old block and you'll get it. You know, you have the ability to do what you need to do. You need tenacity, persistence, and keep a positive mind, you know, and there's always tomorrow. All right, y'all, that's all I got for tonight. Have a good one and we'll talk to you tomorrow.